Okay, are we good on the recording? Test one, two. Sounds good. Okay. Okay, go, go ahead. ahead. How do people see monitoring and evaluation in one word? Not again. Challenging. Burdensome or burden. Burden. But I think that that's starting to change. What could monitoring and evaluation be? Um, um, an opportunity. Opportunity. I like that. An opportunity for improvement. What would you say? See, I think for me, there might be a lot to learn, but that once you once you do, you can see how useful it is. I want to make data fun. You are listening to the Monitoring and Evaluation Technical Assistance. Or Meta Podcast. Improving the collection, management, analysis, and use of data. To improve outcomes to refugees in the U.S. Brought to you from the International Rescue Committee with the support of the Office of Refugee Resettlement. Meta. Welcome to the Meta Podcast. My name is Jamie Costigan, and I am the Monitoring and Evaluation Technical Advisor for IRC's U.S. Programs, and I am leading the Monitoring and Evaluation Technical Assistance, or Meta, project. Today's podcast will focus on monitoring and evaluation and how it can contribute to improved economic outcomes for refugees. I am delighted to introduce today's three guests for today's podcast. First, we have Kate Nelson. Kate manages the Refugee Child Care Business Development Project at Janus, and Janus is a health and human services organization based in Boise, Idaho. She has been working with refugees since 2006 and previously held multiple leadership roles in the private sector. Thanks for joining us, Kate. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. We also have John Vosper with us today. John works as one of the IRC's technical advisors for economic empowerment programs. He is assisting IRC's network of refugee resettlement offices in improving economic opportunities for refugees. John is based in Phoenix and has held a variety of roles with the IRC since 2003. Hi, John. Hey, thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to share what we know. And lastly, we are joined by Kasra Movahedi. Like John, Kasra is a technical advisor for economic empowerment programs at the IRC. Kasra also oversees IRC's efforts to establish a national lending program that will help refugees and other low-income immigrants access affordable credit. Previously, Kasra worked with the IRC's San Diego office for many years. Hi, Kasra. Hi, thank you for having me. Great to have you all. So together, all our guests have a range of experience in economic empowerment programming for refugees including microenterprise development, childcare microenterprise development, individual development accounts, or IDA, employment, financial education, vocational ESL, garden programs, and many more. They have also been involved in organizational efforts to improve program monitoring and evaluation and evidence-based service delivery. Today, they'll be sharing some of their experience on how investments in monitoring and evaluation can contribute to economic outcomes for refugees. Kasra and John, you have been instrumental in the IRC's economic programming in the United States. Could you tell us a little bit first about the IRC's economic programs and what outcomes for refugees you're hoping to achieve as a result of IRC's programs? Um, hi, sure thing. This is Kasra. I'd be happy to field that. So we, we kind of broadly organize our economic empowerment programs um, based on two different client kind of milestone that we hope to achieve. So as a refugee resettlement organization and from the economic empowerment lens, our first priority is to help refugees attain 
a level of kind of economic stability, right, where income can cover their expenses uh, and that kind of all the basic needs are met. And so to to help us move refugees from arrival to that initial starting point, uh, we have kind of a portfolio of programs, obviously early employment, uh, but we also supplement that with financial education and one-on-one counseling and coaching, as well as vocational ESL, uh, both of which serve to kind of accelerate and, and deepen the impacts of our, our early employment efforts. Once a refugee has a job and, the, and their finances are stable, there's kind of a second portfolio of programs that are designed and intended to help refugees transition then from low-wage, low-skill jobs into either higher paying careers or uh, into entrepreneurship, that, that both of which uh, ostensibly lead them to greater economic security uh, and a position where they can really begin to build assets uh, and have savings, get into home mortgages, take vacations, right? So the, the programs that we have that, that support clients in achieving that second milestone, uh, the primary drivers are microenterprise and career development. And then within that, we also have kind of a, a blended approach where we, we continue to try to integrate financial education and counseling into everything we do. And there is a there is a big role for kind of contextualized vocational ESL programs as part of our career development efforts. So that would be kind of how I would characterize IRC's uh, approach to economic empowerment program. Great, thanks. And Kate, what about you? Can you tell us a little bit about the economic programs at Janus and what outcomes you're really striving to achieve with your programs there? Yeah, absolutely. So first, I will give a brief overview of Janus. The organization has been around for over 40 years. It's a nonprofit based here in Boise, Idaho, as you mentioned, and houses over two dozen programs that are comprised of three focused areas, which include community health, public policy, and economic opportunity. Um, A number of programs at Janus are refugee-focused, including the Idaho Office for Refugees, Global Gardens, the IDA program, Agency for New Americans, which is one of the three resettlement agencies here in Boise. But one of the arms as I mentioned, the economic opportunity arm of Janus does not provide services just to refugees, although we definitely include and target refugees as one of the groups that we want to serve, including the the, the program that I manage, which is funded through the Office of Refugee Resettlement. And so within the economic opportunity arm, we have financing, financial capability, and the Refugee Child Care Business Development Project. Financing is comprised of personal lending, which is um, something that we have recently added to our portfolio of services and has included for several years lending through ORR funds to help refugees open businesses. And the financial capability program within EO is all about helping those that are underserved really building their their financial resiliency. We're really focused on helping people become more aware of their, their credit and providing services to help them build their credit. So 
there are a number of, of services that we are currently offering and looking to augment into the future within the Economic Opportunity Program and then across Janus um, that are very complementary to one another. All of them really are symbiotic and focused on financial resiliency and increasing the quality of life for our clients. Great. Thanks, Kate. And just to clarify for our listeners who might not be familiar with all of the acronyms, EO stands for Economic Opportunity and ORR stands for the Office of Refugee Resettlement. So uh, both of your organizations, uh, the IRC and Janus, are both uh, collecting economic data as part of your ongoing project monitoring evaluation. Can you guys talk a little bit about what you found works well in data collection, um, but also some of the monitoring and evaluation challenges that you faced? Hey, Jamie, this is John with IRC. Again, thanks for having us on. I think one of the things that we've been looking at is with such a broad scope of programs, how do we begin to capture impactful data that's meaningful in the variety of programs that we bring to bear? And so we've been trying to uh, basically invest in a couple different areas in terms of of capturing that data. And one is uh, looking at credit scores and how people can establish or improve their credit scores over time. The other one is net income and specifically looking at how can we track folks' earnings versus what they're getting from public benefits and how does that change over time? Because we also believe that that indicator of moving from public benefits to earned income is a great way for us to see people's self-reliance. And the last one is net worth. And net worth is encompassing of a couple different things, obviously of uh, debt and the amount of debt people take on, as well as the number of assets and the quality of assets that folks can achieve over time. And so, you know, those three things, are they're pretty big, uh, but they're also sort of simple ways for us to put these things into play into a lot of different programs where they make sense. And so I think for for us, what's been hard, uh, you kind of asked for the challenges, was making sure that staff understand the quality of data that they're collecting and the importance of data that they're collecting to make sure that something as simple as a family budget, which really goes to looking at um, the areas such as your net worth, that they're doing that budget in a meaningful way, that they're not pulling numbers out of the sky, but that they're uh, looking at uh, real data with the clients, uh, making sure that the clients understand what they're providing, but also making sure that that data gets to our data tracking systems. And when we look at how we try to track data over time, we really need to to have data integrity. So um, making sure that different staff who see clients at different points in time all have that same understanding of what we're trying to collect. So it's a daunting task for us, but we believe like those three areas are pretty good quality ways for us to track client progress. And so what are what is like one thing that you're doing to help staff understand the importance of data? I'm really glad that you you mentioned that. It's something that, that we talk a lot about in the technical assistance that we're providing through Meta, just the importance of staff buying into the process and how that really affects data quality. How are you going about getting staff to understand how it's important so that you are maintaining data integrity? Yeah, I think in the nonprofit world, most staff understand that the grants that we live on, you know, equates to the service that we can provide and uh, the programs that we can provide to clients. And so I think when we're able to sort of translate that data into almost like grant speak, 
into ways that we can fundraise our staff sort of see the importance of it in that way and so i think when we're able to show them hey look we took your data that you put in for the last year and we created this grant opportunity and look it actually funded a program i mean i think that's a, a huge uh, win for us in many ways and staff see the importance of it because it's it's real you know it's, it's really relevant to them and, but the second part of it, and more importantly, is being able to show the impact that it had on clients' lives. And so when we're able to show, for example, uh, we're seeing uh, establishing credit scores that clients are able to basically achieve a 640 credit score from our credit building products at this point. And that, that means you're mortgageable and people get that. They see that that's a real life attainment. Uh, a mortgage is something that has real impact on somebody's life. And so being able to equate that to something people you know know about that they can feel that's tangible to them is is also something that we try to do and then you know the third thing is is really just being attentive to the data and showing people where the holes are and making sure we don't get behind and sort of taking um, more of a compliance look at, at things and so we've been able to build tools that are within our data system that managers and supervisors can use to track data, but also from a larger perspective is to bring that to the field through like monthly communities of practice and and, and show them, hey, there's there's holes in these areas. And and to reiterate, you know, the message of if we don't have demographics, for example, um, then we really can't take a closer look at are we having an impact, say, on one population versus the other or in a gender analysis, you know, how are we affecting women in a positive way? Um, and so we try to just bring those to the surface in a frequent way so people, uh, it doesn't lose touch with them and that they can see, you know, their impact, the real life impact that they have both on their jobs and their clients, and then just seeing the data and how it can affect the, the jobs that they're doing. I'm really glad that you mentioned some of the ways that you're using the data. So both being able to analyze it and also see where there are gaps or holes in the data, um, but also the gender analysis piece being able to look, for example, at the data and say, you know, are we reaching women as much as we're reaching men? Or or are the results of our programs different for men and women? I think it's great that, that the IRC seems to be looking at those things increasingly. So Kate, could you tell us a little bit about the monitoring and evaluation processes at Janus and what you found has worked well with data collection and also some of the challenges that you faced? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a little over a year ago, we welcomed a new director on board, Beth Geegan. And during that time, we as a team got together and decided to, we as a team keep referring to it as a self-imposed foundational shift. And it really is. We decided to move from just measuring outputs to identifying outcomes and measuring impact. And we're not there yet. I mean, we understand that to truly measure the impact of our economic opportunity program, so our EO program, it's going to take years. But what we have invested a lot of resources over the course of the last uh, 14 months in doing is identifying performance indicators that are all related to financial resiliency and some that overlap with quality of life but are primarily focused on financial resiliency. So our funders are not um, 
they're generally all requiring that we give them outputs. We are letting them know we've launched X number of businesses. Our clients are generating X number of dollars in revenue every month, um, that sort of thing. And we've consistently done well. That's why we're continuing to get funding. And that's great. I mean, of course, we want we want to do that for several reasons. Those are some measures of success for our clients, but we don't feel like that tells the whole story. And we know that. I mean, we, we, we know that as people that, that provide direct service to our clients every day. We, like I said, you know, 14 months ago, really co- committed to coming up with what it means to, to measure impact and identifying what it is that our funders aren't asking us to measure. And we're still in the process of coming up with those performance indicators. But um, by and large, we, we have come up with, with what we feel like those are. And we are currently measuring those. Um, some of them include like the numbers of uh, the number of hours our clients are working every week, for example, I mean, so I have a client that is earning approximately $3,200 a month, which is great, but she is working, you know, 80 hours a week and she's able to sustain that right now, but she does not want to do that long term. So that's not really in our book, a significant measure of success because that's not enabling her to go to English language school. So we're, we're trying to look at the, the long-term big picture, whether she's able to achieve her um, goals of integrating into the community and, and truly the impact that we're able to have on her life. So the challenges, um, same as what John already mentioned in terms of tracking data over time, especially within a software system, the one that we have right now only measures data at a single point in time. So we're trying to kind of piecemeal things together so that we are really able to, to look at the progress, a single client's progress over an extended period of time, and then aggregate data. And then additionally, I mean, one thing that we don't have is because we are a very small and lean team is we all are very bought in to making sure that we um, are collecting quality data and that um, we all understand the importance of you know, why we are doing this. So um, it is nice to be on a small team in that regard. It's, it's really, really, really important um, to have the integrity of the information that we're collecting intact. Um, so I will echo that as well. And for the, I mean, you mentioned the challenges of tracking data over time, but also I imagine the, the challenge of, of, potentially funding for tracking data over time. And, you know, and that's particularly important when we're, when we're looking at, at impact, like you mentioned. Um, there's been a lot of talk about measuring the impact of programs for refugees in the U.S., yes. um, increasingly so. And 
I guess I should remind listeners uh, that, you know, there is a difference when we're talking about impact versus when we're talking about just measuring program outcomes. Uh, Because when we're talking about measuring impact, it really involves showing that the results can be attributed to your program and not to other factors uh, in the community or in the economic system, for example. So, I mean, with this emphasis on measuring impact that that Janice has, that I know the IRC is increasingly having, um, I mean, are we ready for it? Do we have the resources for it? What do we need as a community to start really being able to look at attributable impact, impact that's, that's due to our programs that we can say, you know, with a degree of confidence that this change is due to the services that we're providing? Hey, Jamie, this is John again. I'll jump in a little bit here, and I'm sure others will have more to say. I mean, I think for years, you know, I've been with the IRC for like 13 years, and I think we've certainly evolved to uh, tracking things like, you know, outputs and activities to more of the outcomes. Uh, And then, you know, impact is a giant leap forward for us, I think. And I do think, you know, the correlating of what our interventions are as to what our ultimate outcomes is is a pretty daunting sort of feat for us to grab a hold of. And I do think, you know, um, data systems and and thinking differently about what we're tracking and how we're tracking and, and maybe when we're tracking are all considerations. I do think the IRC has been trying to engage with academic partners to a certain extent, although, I you know, that's a large uh, feat in itself is to take on um, some of those relationships and really try to, again, correlate uh, our interventions to our outcomes. I think one of our uh, you know, we, we, I mentioned credit uh, increases before, and so we've been tracking, you know, here's a, a client's pre-score to uh, their credit score, and then here's uh, their post-score to credit score, and we can show that increase. Um, but now we're, we're engaged in a process of showing some baseline data in an office um, where there is no intervention. So I think, you know, there's some practices for us to continue in that regard where we can show a sample case uh, where there is no intervention to, you know, where there is and, and really begin to make that correlation. I think we've got a long road ahead of us to, to move through those considerations. And then when you talked about the budget, I mean, I think for IRC, we've for years now been engaged in developing uh, efforts to outcomes software through social solutions, um, that is indeed, you know, it's, it carries a hefty price tag. There's a lot of investment organizationally to have staff at an infrastructure level who are just working on developing, you know, not only the data sets, but the reports, uh, working through all the bugs. And so, I mean, that's a, that's a large investment that comes from a lot of different areas. And so I think, you know, as a field, as a resettlement field, thinking about fundraising is maybe a new ball game for us because we've been concentrating on working programs for so long. But I think, you know, the current environment of funders um, are certainly demanding that we show proof to the work that we do, that we show the impact of the work that we do. So I think it's pretty much essential that we've got to go in that direction and, and make that investment and make it a part of our fundraising strategy. That's great. Thanks, John. And I guess with with that, you know, I often hear people talk about how, you know, there's not enough staff or there's not enough time to really invest in monitoring and evaluation. And so in addition to really investing in the software that you need or the databases you need to be able to track outcomes and outputs and all other program data effectively, you know, we also need to be budgeting effectively for the time 
that it will require for staff, um, making sure that we have enough staff that are included in the project to really make sure that they are doing the monitoring and evaluation. It's a great point uh, to, to mention the budget there. I think you, you all talked about the outcomes that you really want to see for refugees. Um, but if there, was, if there was one that you wanted to prioritize, what would that be? This is Kazra. I would say it'd be, you know, as, as John mentioned earlier, that we were trying to track kind of change in income, change in net worth and credit score. And that's kind of all done as one assessment, although they are three distinct outcomes. I think that it gives such a such a direct insight into the financial circumstances of clients. And while it, it is hard uh, and time intensive to capture that data, we also feel like that same evaluation tool can be applied across many different project designs, right? That, that at the end of the day, economic empowerment programs, those are the needles that we're trying to, to move. Of those three, again, change in net worth, credit score, or net income, I think that net worth would be kind of the ultimate outcome that, that if we had to pick, we would uh, go with. Thanks. And, and do you think that having common indicators for some of these outcomes, like net worth, is it necessary for us to have common ways of measuring these things across organizations um, to be able to aggregate data, not just as an organization, but as a community of service providers? I mean, I think that that would be phenomenal and, and ideal. It does, it does take some level of effort. And I think there's perhaps a lot of external factors as to whether or not any particular sector and all of the community of players within that sector can come to consensus. But the the tool that we are using is actually one that was developed by Annie Casey and was was kind of included in their Centers for Working Families model, which was at this point, I think there's over 75 organizations that are using that exact same evaluation tool uh, to track the impact of bundled economic development services on their clients. And I think there is a ton of value in being able to align yourself with some of the larger kind of uh, more more mainstream and pre-existing outcomes and measures if if they exist. I think trying to build it from the ground up is a, is a longer term endeavor, but certainly a worthwhile one. It strengthens the case, the reach of your of your messaging. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if we're using the a common evaluation tool, then it allows us to keeping keeping the outcomes constant, take a deeper dive into the project designs and to see which types of interventions on which populations resulted in greater or more positive outcomes and would ostensibly then help to ensure uh, that funding goes towards impactful programs and that there's a lot more kind of efficiency within the sector as a whole. Right. You mentioned the the piece around being able to show which programs are more effective than others looking at the program model, the program design. Um, are there other uses for that type of aggregated data? I'm just thinking advocacy, like particularly given today's political environment. Are there other ways that we could be using that data, ways that that data could be really valuable to policymakers, to communities, to refugees? This is John again, and I think we really saw our economic empowerment programs come to the forefront of our advocacy efforts recently. And I think, you know, when the Syrian refugee crisis happened and the whole of the United States began to talk about refugees and, you know, then we had the Paris incident happen and there was a backlash against refugees. And, and so, so many of us that might be listening probably engaged in advocacy around the country with, you know, our local stakeholders, national stakeholders. And I think one of the tools that we're able to use in our case in Phoenix was 
the data that we had around the economic impact that refugees, you know, have. Just one example, our asset building program just here in the Phoenix office, you know, where, where refugees have purchased over $40 million worth of assets, just even to have that number and to talk to someone like a city council person or the mayor about how many homes were purchased or how many businesses were opened or, you know, how many jobs we placed with local employers or how many jobs we created in our microenterprise programs were certainly great data points to bring to bear as you're saying, you know, we want to be a welcoming community. We want uh, to welcome immigrants and refugees to our community. They're an important part of building our community and look what they've done. Uh, and so to have that information, I mean, I think we all know anecdotally that immigrants and refugees are the most entrepreneurial folks in our community and create so many jobs and so many opportunities. And so being able to have that in our hands, I think, is hugely important when it comes to things like advocacy. When it comes to things like fundraising as well, I mean, it's equally as important because there's uh, many mainstream corporate uh, local funders who are all about creating jobs, creating businesses. And when we can show that if you invest in refugees, you're going to get more bang for your buck. I think we've, we've got a great story to tell. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Kate, is there one outcome that Janice or you in yeah. particular would like to see yeah. for refugees? Well, I, I'm just glad. Um, I just want to echo the same sentiments that both Kezra and John have stated. And I'm so glad that um, we're having this conversation because really, I mean, ours is all about financial resiliency and boils down to increasing net worth for our clients, same as what Kezra was saying, and evaluating and bettering their debt to income ratio, increasing their savings and assets, and increasing their credit score. So the potential for having common measurements and sharing those across organizations is extremely exciting. Um, being able to leverage both the information and the potential, you know, assets and the, the dollars that we could save and and use otherwise, and be able to um, dive deeper into programmatic development is really what we would love to do, especially as a smaller organization. So yeah, it's, it's something that I'm sure other organizations and the other listeners are, are also working on as well. So in, in terms of whether or not this information would be helpful in developing policy, absolutely. For the same reasons that were already stated by John. Great. Thanks. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I'm glad that we're getting this conversation started. I'm sure these conversations have been going on for a while anyway, yeah. uh, outside the meta podcast, but you know, I would encourage you guys to share any tools that you guys have uh, that could be of benefit to other organizations. We'd love to host them on the meta website uh, as a resource for, for other organizations and try to keep that conversation going. Um, and, you know, now we're coming to the, the end of the podcast. Would each of you like to share just one final key message that you'd like refugee service providers or donors to take away from the session? Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I'm all obviously coming from a, a direct service perspective as a manager of a smaller project. 
And I think one thing that I would just encourage listeners to remember is that it's it's easy to start small and to look at a single gap and to make a small change and identify one measure that you feel like is is missing um, and to start there. So one piece of the picture or the puzzle that can be filled. And really the heart of monitoring and evaluation is tied to the very reason why we got into this work, which is to make a change. And monitoring and evaluation is really ensuring that we are making that change. So to not um, shy away or be afraid, but instead to embrace it. That's my, my take and my, my passion for, for monitoring and evaluation. I really feel strongly about it. Thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad you do and that you share yeah, that passion. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I really do. I really do. Kassara, do you have one message? Sure. And I would, I would absolutely dovetail on, on everything that Kate just said and, and underline it and uh, agree wholeheartedly. Um, I think that in terms of just two two quick thoughts that I have found to be useful in my own experiences is one, while the whole point is proving the impact of your programs and having outcome measures, don't underestimate and don't overlook demographics. Because if you don't and you cannot articulate for whom you achieve these impacts, um, then then you're really leaving a lot of the value you know, on the table. Um, I think the second would be as you're designing systems and thinking it through, there is a tendency, at least at least in, in my experiences, there's been a tendency to go really far down the rabbit hole of all of the things that you want to track and, and how, how nuanced and how detailed you want that, that data. And that's, that's all well and good, but I think that there is a lot to be said for keeping things simple. And so I think, you know, ultimately it'd be some type of iterative process where you dream big about all the things you want to capture and then you have to work really hard to, to simplify that as much as possible, because I, I do think that the degree of investment that it takes and the, um, the quality of your data are both connected to the complexity of the system that you create. And everything is so much easier if you have a very simple system without going too far, because if it's so simple and you don't have any nuance, then, you, you know, you're also not not getting good insights. So, yeah, those would be my two my two add ons. Um, don't forget demographics and keep it simple. That's great. Yeah. Only track what you need to track and make sure that you're actually collecting what it is you actually need to be collecting too. Um, John. Yeah. Well, going last, it's, it's hard not to just echo what these two smart people had said. And Kate, you totally made me smile when you said that's why we got in this in the first place is to make a change. And I mean, I think all your listeners know that they're collecting so many different data points already. And I think what it comes down to in many cases is just taking that little bit of time to sit down and think about what am I collecting that I could put in a maybe a different format, like an Excel spreadsheet, you know, like we've, we've heard you guys say, you know, keep it simple, but there's so much data in a case file. Um, and so picking a few of those data points to look at, uh, like Kazra said, whether it's the demographics to start with, and then adding on to it some of the things that we already collect in a way that you can analyze it uh, later in time, I think is obviously hugely important. But we have really simple tools like Excel spreadsheets that we can start with today. And so I think for, for all of us on the phone, it's, it's really a matter of making sure that we've got a tool that simply can be used by staff um, that we can implement and, and versus 
feeling so uh, sort of held up by the amount of data points, like you were saying, uh, Jamie, you know, that we could collect. Um, and so again, keep it simple. Start, start now, start soon. Um, and then you know, the other thing is we've, we've had some really great success with a couple of interns that we've used in the past that we basically designed around data mining. And, you know, we had all these great case files and a lot of information that we hadn't put into a tool of some sort to, to get at. And so, you know, for months we had uh, several interns go back into our files and sort of recreate data sets that we could analyze and look into deeply. So I think, you know, that's also out there for us. And we got really great information from that that we we're able to use uh, for both future program design and also for fundraising. So, uh, you know, we've, we've got folks who want to help us. And so let's use them. And, and data is one of those important things that can be uh, an important factor in, in moving us forward. Right. Thanks, everyone, so much for your time and your contributions to this discussion. I, I think that there's so much that the community of refugee service providers can learn from you all. And I really hope that there are more opportunities to learn from you and from others that are doing this work as well. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jamie. Have a great Thanks. weekend. Okay, you too. Thanks. Take care. Bye, Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today on the Meta Podcast. Listeners, tell us what you think. What other topics do you want to hear more about? Talk to us by emailing meta at rescue.org. And you can also follow us on Twitter at US Meta Support. And as always, you can learn more about Meta at metasupport.org.